Are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. I actually would have loved, loved, loved to continue that thought because, I mean, it's infinite. It uh, just could go on about God is. And I actually thought I was going to. I was asked earlier during the week uh, what I might, and I, I had a thought, and I don't know if maybe me talking about it kind of, sometimes you, you just get things out of your system after you talk about it, right? Come on, sometimes, don't, don't act all holy now. I mean, that was a good moment, but I mean, don't we, a lot of times we just got stuff bent up on the inside, and after we just spew all over everybody, you just like, I feel a little bit better now that I've, I was able to get it off my chest, but, uh, uh, and that's maybe why I had a hard time last night. I actually had two great thoughts that I was going to speak on this morning, and I just could not get them. It's for another day, another hour, and the Holy Spirit, uh, this weekend as I was away, began to speak to me, and as I went up, I knew this was the thought. I want to uh, start this morning by revisiting one of the last verses of Scripture that I read a couple of weeks ago when speaking on the topic, God is merciful. Listen to the Psalm of David in Psalms 136. We're just going to read the first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. And oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. I want to speak to you this morning on a topic I would like to call the gift of of thanks. The gift of thanks. And if I could have, I would have loved to have given each one of you a gift this morning. I, 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 seriously, generosity has just been bubbling up in us. We've preached about generosity. We've seen that God is generous and all those things. And I really did. I had a desire. I would have loved to have had some small gift to have given you. But I feel like the message itself will be a gift to you this morning. I'd love to have maybe even at least had gotten a bookmark that says thanks or the gift of thanks or thankfulness. And I walked in my office. I had to go get my backpack to, I put on contacts so I don't have to wear glasses, but I have to wear glasses because I'm wearing contacts now. Yes, I'm getting a little older. But as I walked in my office on my uh, laptop on the desk was a card. And when I picked it up, the, the envelope is, is white, of course, so the dark reading. And I know that this card says, thank you. This person did not know what I was going to be preaching this morning, but I believe it was a divine setup so that I would know because of the other two uh, messages I wanted to share just didn't come, that this is in fact the Word of God for you today. I believe that this will change your life if you will learn to be thankful in all things. You see, it's not hard It's not hard for me to use the word thanks. Matter of fact, if you've gotten a text from me, I can guarantee you at the end of it would be the word thanks with three exclamation points. And I want you to understand, if you ever get a text from me, and if I say I love and appreciate you with three exclamation points, I mean those three. That's not just something I do. Amen. I mean it. That means imperatively I love and appreciate you. Uh, oftentimes, 
times, if I don't use the word thanks, I will use this phrase, thanks for all you do with three exclamation points. Or I may say thanks for your help and time with this. I do this in emails. I do it in text messages. Or I will either say this, thanks and have a blessed day. And you guessed it, with three. Anybody ever got a text from me like that? Now, most of you say I text in book form. I don't know how to text small chat. I, I'm one of these, if, I, if I'm handing out directives, I'm going to give you every, you will not need to ask a question after I text or email you. I learned that from work, for working with engineers and architects because they're notorious to not really answer. And, and so I just give perfect form emails and I text like I'm writing an email. I know I'm not supposed to. My wife tells me all the time that's not important. I even like to start my text messages with a greeting. Good morning. I pray and trust your day is going great. Uh, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And then I get into the heart of it. And then I'll end with thanks or some form of those phrases that I've given you. See, it's easy for thankfulness to come from me. It's just part of who I am. It's, I guess it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. But I can honestly be, uh, tell you this morning, and I know you won't believe this, but I'm not always thankful. And you'll see some of this in the message that I'd like to share with you, and you'll probably later on find out where this message come from. So let's get started by reading uh, this morning. Exodus, I'm going to kind of skip around in Exodus chapter 12. They have the, the, the scriptures on the screen. And I just want to lay a foundation. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to make every one of you thankful. Some of you are thankful when I start. And the other half of you will be thankful when I finish. And somewhere in between, if that doesn't fit you, hopefully somewhere in between, something I will say to you will cause gratefulness and thankfulness to erupt in your life. Amen. So for those of you that will be thankful when I start, here's your opportunity. I'm starting now. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Let me say this also. I've got a way I preach. That's just who I am. Now, this message kind of starts out a little negative. But I hope it's going to end on a positive. Hemi likes to go to the doctor and him only tell you what's wrong. You're like, I knew what was wrong. I knew I had a runny nose. I'm blowing it every five seconds and all the different ailments that I have. But I need you to give me something that will help me ease through this symptoms that I'm having. So at some point in this message, I, I don't want my emotional, I don't want who I am as a preacher to get in the way. And I don't want you to feel like I'm preaching at you or to you. I'm actually just giving you a gift this morning. I, I, literally, I wish you could just see the gift in my mind and I'm giving it to you this morning. But he said, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, On the tenth of this month... 
Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Now you shall keep, see Moses writes like I text. You, there's no question. Every, I mean, he writes it twice, right? Every One lamb for every home. And then he just says it again, a lamb for a, a household. Now you shall keep it, the lamb, until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Verse 7, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Verse 8, then they shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire. Tell me God's commands aren't good. I mean, take that lamb, that yearling lamb, and roast it over a fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs you shall eat it, and thus you shall eat it. This is verse 11. And thus shall you eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so shall you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, verse 14 and 15. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast. We call it the feast of Passover by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now verse 17. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. Anybody got any questions thus far? Moses pretty clear. 18 or verse 33 rather. And the Egyptians urged the people. Now you got to understand this is the 10th plague that God has brought upon Egypt, amen, at the command of Moses to let his people go. So they're in the last commandment, and now this, the, you know the, the plague, it was the firstborn of every man or beast. And the Bible said that the crying in Egypt that night was greater than it's ever been before, nor has there ever been a cry like that. Could you imagine millions of firstborns, man and, and beast, dying in one night because of the, the, the plague that God sent over Egypt because he was holding God's people hostage now watch this. So the people, the Israelites, verse 34, took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Verse 39, and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. So on this night when they eat this lamb, they were commanded to eat every bit of it. And if by chance they could not eat it, they were to burn it with fire. They were to utterly consume. And I'm going to tell you, being a Christian, you're going to have to be all in. Amen. There, there is no riding the fence when it comes to being a Christian. You've got to be 
all in. Now, every year, the children of Israel would rid their homes. Watch this. Every year of leavened bread. Remember, the first day, they were to rid all the leaven out of their houses. And for seven days in a row, they only eat leavened bread. So they did this to commemorate God delivering them from Egypt. This was to be a perpetual ordinance, as Moses said. Now, I want you to understand that this is a type and a symbol of our need as Christians to regularly rid ourselves of things that attach to us. Uh, we live in a world that we have to interact with, and if we're not careful, there's things in the world that will oftentimes latch themselves onto us. Maybe it's an offense. You take up someone's offense on the job, and before you know it, you're just angry. And you don't, how many people have been angry and really don't know? I don't even know why I'm angry. I'm just angry. Now, I'm not talking about hangry, because if you're hangry, you know why you're angry. You're hungry. But here they were doing in type and symbol what we're to do as newborn believers in God. We are to constantly. How many knows if you live in a home or you drive a car and you do not have regular maintenance on that home or in that car, something bad will begin to happen. Any house that is not well maintained will begin to deteriorate. It will begin to lessen in value. Same way with a car. If you don't do regular maintenance check and, and do these things, amen, that car will not last as long as it normally should. So I want to share with you two stories, and I'm just going to read two verses of Joshua chapter 1. Uh, one story is the Old Testament story, and then we're going to go into the New Testament. But here in the story of Joshua chapter 7, you'll find the story of Achan. And most of us know the story how that the children of Israel walked around the walls of Jericho and the walls came down. And then they're fixing to go into another battle, a little battle of a town called Ai, very small. They felt confident after the last victory. Unbeknownst to them, somebody in the camp took up some things that God commanded them not to. And so they're about to go up, and they said, we have no need for all the men of war to go up. Only send about 3,000. And the Bible declares that Ai, amen, overpowered them, killed 36 innocent young men. These were probably somebody's father, somebody's son, somebody's husband. 36 of them killed in battle. They run back, amen, and they're embarrassed. So now Joshua, is praying to God. Verse 24 and 25, Then Joshua and all Israel with him, how many? All Israel. Watch this. Took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, and the wedge of gold. Now notice what else they done. They took his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Not a great ending to a story. 
but nonetheless a true story. The Bible is not fiction. Now for the New Testament story, go with me to Acts chapter 19, and then I'm, I'm just trying to lay a foundation so you can understand where this gift of thanks comes from. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. That, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So now they've, they've got sicknesses, they've got evil spirits. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. In other words, they don't have a relationship. They've just seen what Paul's doing, and they thought, We'll, we'll mimic that. Verse 14, Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, now they're trying to cast out this spirit out of a person or persons. And the evil spirit begins to talk back. And listen to what he says. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That was not a powerful prayer meeting. Verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. So now watch what happens when the news travels around. And fear fell on them all, every one of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who, both the Jews and the Greeks, had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who, again, both Jews and Greeks, had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. I looked up several commentaries and one of them said it is estimated. I want you to listen to this. This is the value of the things that they ridded themselves of. The books and uh, in our days it would be tapes and DVDs and VCRs and televisions and televisions and telephones and all those different things. It is estimated that this would have taken 10 laborers 20 years to have earned that's how much stuff that had accumulated not just to the greeks remember he, he said and all the jews now if they had have practiced what i'm going to teach you this morning if they would have took the symbolism of getting leaven out of their house they were command you got to get it out because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that was the principle of Achan in the book of Joshua. He was only one. He was leavened. But God said, until you get the leaven, Achan, out of the camp, get the gold, get the silver, get the Babylonia. I mean, the dude hides it under his tent. He don't even get to use it. And God said, I am a holy God. 
And you must get the leaven out of the camp or I will no longer go with you. So in Acts chapter 19, a little better ending to this story, but still a reminder that there are things that we pick up, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that can have major negative impacts on our lives. Each of these stories were significant in that they both were very serious and severe instances where things that were acquired in the lives of individuals caused for a very drastic and dramatic separation and disassociation. In other words, have no association with it. All throughout the Old Testament, God had rigorous commands about cleanliness. You got to understand, this is what separated the children of Israel from other nations. Not just that they served the one, the true, and the living God, but they themselves were a very clean nation. And you'll, you, you can study history and see this not just in the Bible, but in history it, it is proven. So God had rigorous commands about cleanliness. They were specific commands about keeping the tabernacle or the temple and the articles within them clean. There were detailed commands about cleaning the camp. Amen. And, and um, I mean, just amazing, very clear commands. So you ought to read those, uh, how they were to uh, clean the camp of Israel all the way down to perfect personal cleanliness as well. And most of these commands, see, this is the problem. And, of course, we know this in the New Testament. Paul said if the law could have saved someone, there would have been no need for a New Testament or a new testator, Jesus Christ, to die. See, the law only dealt with the outside of a thing or a person. And thus the children of Israel often uh, forgot about what was on the inside. What, what they were allowing to get into their hearts and into their minds and into their souls. It's not in my notes, but I'm reminded of where Jesus, amen, the, the uh, Pharisees would literally go out once a year and paint the tombs bright white and and because uh they they didn't knew that if you touched anything like that you yourself would become unclean and jesus said oh you whited sepulchers you make well the outside but on the inside you are full of dead men's Bones. In other words, we give the most earnest heed, amen, of things on the outside. We want to look the part. We want to talk the part. We want to walk the part. But on the inside, there is a, a, a degraded heart issue. That's where racism and all, all the different things that we have as a church declared that we will fight by the power of the Holy Spirit, not flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. We have declared that we as a church of the living God are not going to be whited sepulchers. We're going to walk in the power and the might of Jesus Christ, and we're going to have on the inside what others only show on the outside. Come on, could I hear an amen this morning? So it only dealt with the outside, not the heart, the mind, or the soul. So I want to exhort you this morning about the need for keeping your heart clean. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth... And put perverse lips far from you. 
Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Let me read you Proverbs 4.23 and a few other versions. She won't have them on the screen. Trust me uh, this morning. Amen. Proverbs 4.23, New International Version. Above all else... Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The New Living Translation would say it like this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23, the Amplified Version. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. And lastly, the New American Bible. Watch this. With all vigilance, guard your heart. See, the Bible said ever since John the Baptist preached, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. He said with all vigilance, guard your heart. For in it are the sources of life. Jesus would say it like this in Mark chapter 7, 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of men or mankind, that's that women you're included here, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, This is coming from your heart and my heart. Watch this. Deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Listen to David's plea as he recognized things that had attached themselves to his heart. See, none of one of us are exempt from temptation. Not a one of us are exempt for negativity and and, uh, thoughts of evil to enter in and for us to begin to entertain. See, we live in an entertainment world, so therefore the enemy loves to get thoughts in our mind and then we, because we're so accustomed and so uh, uh, trained to be entertained, we learn how to entertain thoughts that we should not be thinking. Watch what David said in Psalms 51. I don't know that I'll read the whole chapter because I do have a lot of verses. But watch this. To the chief musician, this is a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him. You remember Nathan went to him, he told him the little proverb. And David gets mad and says, show me the man and I'll surely put him to death. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are the man. Now watch this. He goes to his chamber and begins to write, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, that is, inner sins, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always 
before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin uh, my mother conceived me. Behold, watch this, you desire truth where? In the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than... We sung about that this morning. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice or give thanks. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Here it is, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't let me keep giving in to these little temptations. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me a holy and a righteous heart. And give me a steadfast spirit. So let's keep it real this morning. Let's, let's just think about this. All of the things that Jesus mentioned in Mark chapter 7, 21 through 23, when he said, from within, out of the heart, proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders and thefts, covetous, wicked, and you can just keep reading. David was guilty of every one of them. Listen to me. Sin does not start out with just the actual act of sin. The Bible said you are drawn away of your own lust and enticed. And when lust, the seed, is conceived, it will bring forth sin. It starts with a thought. It starts with a wicked thought. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man or woman thinketh in his or her heart, so is he. So here Jesus would say it like this again. Let me read Proverbs 4.23 once more in the New Kingdom. Keep your heart with all diligence. So why would Solomon write such a bold command to his children? Because if you go to chapter 4 verse 1, he said, Hear my children, the instructions of your father. It's because it is written in Jeremiah 17, 9. This is one of those magnet, magnet uh, mirror moments that you want to rememorize this verse. You want to put it in your memory. You want to load it in your pistol. You want to get it in your revolver. Amen. Watch this. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, lest we all be shining our halos this morning, that's my heart. I'll start out with me. That's my heart. That's your heart. That's his heart, her, her heart. It's their heart. No heart is exempt from this very serious indictment that Jeremiah began to speak on behalf of God. The heart is deceitful. How many, how many have said this comment? Well, if I, if I know my heart, 
I, 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 I think I meant well. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it? Did you know Paul wrote this? It's not in my notes. But he said, no man knoweth the heart of a man other than the spirit that is in the man. So don't use that terminology. If I know my heart, I meant well. See, if we're not careful, we will do with our mouths what my dad done with his body under an alcoholic stupor of a drunk. He would beat, he would maliciously attack, and then once he sobered up, well, I didn't mean that, or, oh, I, 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 I would have never done that. See, from within, out of the heart. See, sometimes alcohol just reveals what's already in the heart. But if we're not careful, we will do with our mouths, with our lip service, with our tongues, what other men and women do while intoxicated. Oh, in a drunken anger of a rage, we will lash out, we will say things and then once we come to our senses, we come from that anger of a high I didn't really mean what I said and you know I'm the type of person, I'm the positive person, I love to give people the benefit of the doubt, maybe you didn't mean everything that you said but Jesus said from within out of the heart, proceed these things. Speaking of my heart, I want to embarrassingly tell you something that this is where this message come from. During this weekend, from Wednesday to Friday evening, very late, we were in Birmingham, Alabama at a beta convention. And I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit said to me through my wife's lips. And I thank God for godly wives. And I so thank my wife. I did not ask her on the way here, what was that I said, you said, then I said, and then you said what you said that really got my attention? Because she can probably remember it. I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. This may be, uh, what's it called, what, selective memory here. I don't remember what she said first. And I don't remember what I said after what she said first. But I do remember specifically what the Holy Spirit said through her lips to me after that little bit of interchange. She just politely looked at me with that. I mean, come on, look at my wife. She, look how innocent she is. And she just looked at me with those loving and enduring eyes. And I'm going to pull my glasses off so I can see her a little bit better. She said, you have a negative attitude. And trust me, I didn't say, well, who do you think you are, little Miss Perfect? Because I didn't hear her words. I heard what the Holy Spirit was saying. And who was I to argue with his assessment of what I couldn't see was there, that she couldn't see was there, but I just told you the Spirit knows. He searches the intents of the heart. 
And I'm pretty sure because my wife is very loving and she's not a very confrontational, but she did not say that statement looking for a, a, a further confrontation. She probably knew once she said it, that was the end all do all to this little dialogue that was going on. And again, I can't remember. I honestly can't remember what it was about. But she was very clear when she said, you have a negative heart. Listen, or negative, yeah, well, yeah, you have a negative heart. I'll just leave it at that. Solomon reminds us in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, what's this? He said, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. You see, we often think about those big tragic sins like Achan and David and Samson and all these stories. That Aren't you glad the Bible's just real? I mean, man, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. It, it holds nothing back. These are regular men that made some very horrific mistakes, but then God would turn them around and do great things through them. Aren't you glad that his mercies are new every morning? But negativity, that's not really all that bad, is it? Or is it? See, I would like to think that we all should have the right to be negative from time to time, shouldn't we? Or should we? You see, negativity is like a clog in your drains or your septic tank. It causes things to back up, which results in costly damage repair, like relationships. How many of us have allowed negativity to clog things up? There's no flow of positivity. There's no flow of, of encouragement. And now we're having to do major costly relationship Damage control. Negativity is like a clot in your arteries. It restricts the flow of vital positivity and can often lead to relational death between you and another person or even between you and God. Negativity stops the natural flow of creativity. Listen to that. Negativity stops the flow of creativity. Thus, it stops the flow of God in your life. Because, remember, we said God cannot change. God is a creator. And when you allow negativity, it will dam up or restrict the flow of creativity, which is actually the flow of God. Many of us are, are, are performing poor. And I didn't come here to assess your job or get all up in your business. But many of us have a poor work life. We wonder what's going on. And all it is is we have taken on negativity, which restricts creativity. And now instead of you moving in the job, you're stuck. Or moving in that relationship where you desire it to go, you're stuck because of negativity. Negativity is like a cancer that eats away at positivity and thankfulness, leaving you weak, weary, and mentally and spiritually malnourished. 
the truth is, it's easy to be negative. Don't do anything or stop being intentional and negativity will grow in your heart like weeds grow in a garden or a flower bed. Just don't do anything. Just keep going with the flow. Don't do regular maintenance. Remember, guard your heart. Keep your heart. Watch over your heart. For from it flows the issues of life. So just continue to not watch. Continue to not guard. Continue to not care about the, the, the status of your heart. And like weeds grow in a flower bed or a garden, negativity will begin to grow in your heart. So having said, uh, is negativity really that bad of a sin? Listen to God's assessment in Numbers chapter 14, 26 through 37. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron say, who's speaking here? The Lord. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children... See, that's what I was doing. She would say something, then I would just have a negative comment back. I would encourage you to read Psalms chapter 1. I I by no means have time, but I pulled it up on my phone in case, I mean, the Holy Spirit just really wanted me. Read it. Say to them as I live, verse 28 says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. See, they had a thankful heart. They had a rejoicing heart. They had a heart that looked for the good instead of the negative. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are... Man, I mean, this, this, I, I don't think this is like, you know, Ed McMahon saying you've won the publisher's clearinghouse. This is a sober assessment that God is giving to the hearts of the children of Israel. Now, you can argue all day long with your gas hand on your dashboard. All it is designed to do is to show you what you can't see is or is not in the tank. God is revealing to them the error of their heart and their lack of remembering to get rid of things, to continue to flush out their heart. According to the number of days that you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year. Many of you ask, why did they wander around for 40 years? There you have it. 
namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. Because, see, we love that, you know, God will never leave us, he'll never. But there is a scripture in the, uh, in the Bible that says, I will be with you as long as you are with me and for me. But if you forsake me, I will forsake you. Every one of us have to yearly, monthly, weekly, daily do spiritual heart checks. As many of us that suffer from heart disease in families, our doctors rigorously check our hearts, watch over our hearts. They check the blood flow and all the different things. And all they're doing is trying to maintain your physical heart. When are we going to realize that as Christians, we too must do spiritual assessments of our heart condition? Why do I feel the way I feel about him or her? Why is it that she and I cannot have a conversation without it going south? Why do everything, or why is it that everything I see that person do, I don't feel measures up to my qualifications? That is a sign. That's your speedometer. If you're having these thoughts of negativity, condescending, amen, demeaning others in your mind or even with your mouth, it is just a sign of what's in your heart. You could continue to read. Paul wrote of this encounter in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read verses 1 through 13 what Paul wrote about these examples that we're talking about this morning. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. The ones that were blessed and thankful and even the ones that complained and were ungrateful. They were all under the cloud. See, a lot of times we want to make it say, well, maybe if he hadn't grown up the way he grew up, he was abused as a child or she was neglected as a child. Maybe that's why. See, we want to stroke our symptoms. I mean, could you imagine the doctor said, well, you know, maybe because the way he was raised and you had bad eating habits, you know, it's not that bad that, Three of your main arteries in your heart are clogged. You know, you can't help it. No, with great demand, he will say, you're going to eat a low sugar, a low carb, a low fat. No, you're like, well, are you turning me into a rabbit? Because all I can eat is greens. I mean, I see people now, and I'm going to start doing this because I want to start getting healthy. I want to start having healthier thoughts about myself. I'm probably going to start getting two pieces of lettuce and put my cheeseburger. And that that blows my mind. You know, they get everything else that I always thought was, you know, very bad for you. As long as you put it between two leaves of lettuce, you know, that makes it healthy. It's like those leaves suck all the extra calories out. But I've seen results. It works. (laughs) So I believe that those lettuces are soaking soaking up all that extra cholesterol and everything else. And I can eat three cheeseburgers between (laughs) lettuce patties when only I could eat one cheeseburger between two buns. (laughs) Hey, it's a win-win. 
But he said all of them were under the cloud and all of them passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all of them drank the same or ate the same spiritual food. So there's no exceptions here. See, Peter said it like this when he looked at Cornelius. He said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And here we see all of them eat the same food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Watch this. But, verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Remember we read, that's what God said would happen. Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them as it is written. The people sat down, eat and drank and rose up to play. And what's the first letter of idolatry? Anybody want to help me? This I, ourselves will become our idol. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor, oh, and I thought complaining and negativity wasn't that bad. Verse 10. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples. Remember that leaven that I told you about, that was just a type. See, now we got to bring a spiritual truth to it. Everything that happened to them was a physical type. Now we're getting a spiritual truth from it. All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he falls. Listen to me, honey. There are no superhero Christians in this crowd. There's not a one of us that are exempt from this. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. See, it's common to be negative. It's common to be a complainer. It's easy. Matter of fact, it's easier to be a complainer than it is to have a positive attitude. You gotta listen to me, you gotta work at being positive, but you can do nothing. You can be lazy and be negative. You can be lazy and be a complainer, but you have to work at being thankful. You have to work at putting cards like this on somebody's computer and just says, Thank you. See, it took some time. It took some effort. It took some money. She, she paid for this. She actually wrote in the card. She didn't just let the card do all the talking. She let her own handwriting. See, to be thankful may cost you something. But can I tell you, being negative will cost you as well. Let me hurry up and get through this. Every one of us is tempted from time to time to be negative. But I want you to know there's a way out of your negativity. Just like a glass of water. And I don't know what's growing in there. That's somebody's science experiment. 
can be tainted by impurities, can be purged by an overflow of fresh water, our hearts can be cleansed from negativity by an overabundance of thankfulness. Now, if I were to ask many of you, I know you would choose the clear, but there is the possibility that I can, with enough clear, good, fresh water, begin to pour into this and it begin to overflow. And with enough good, clean, positive water, that glass could also be able to be drunk out of without any types of sicknesses. That's what we have to do. I, I tell a lot of times when I counsel uh, married couples or counsel a, a, a family that has a prodigal son, I will say, don't just give a positive for a negative. Because if you have one negative, uh, you science guys know this, if you have one negative and one positive, what is it? It's a neutral. You're not going forward, you're not going backwards, you're just at a standstill. Always replace a negative with two positives. And two positives will take a negative and make it a positive. So watch this. Thankfulness. The feeling of being happy or grateful because of something or someone. It is warm, friendly feelings of gratitude. Some synonyms are appreciativeness and gratefulness. I like to say it like this. Gratefulness leads to gratefulness. Gratefulness leads to great fullness. Listen to Paul's command to the Thessalonian believers. Rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. When? Always. Pray without ceasing. Now this is all one command. They're just commas. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And just so you know that Paul practiced what he preached and preached what he practiced, watch what he wrote to the first Thessalonians or the Thessalonians, they might have been the first ones, I don't know, but Thessalonians first chapter, verses 1 and 2. He said, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, here it is. We give thanks to God always for you all. Not just the people that we can get along with. Not just the people that think the way we think. But we always give thanks for all of you. See, it takes a mature Christian to be able to look at that person that's a thorn in your flesh and learn how to, even in prayer, give thanks for them in your life. See, I'm, and, and again, my wife is definitely not a thorn in my side. I promise you that. But I give thanks to God that she was that little dash hand symbol of my heart and said, you've got a lot of negativity in there because you've got a lot of negative words coming out. See, negative in, negative out. We give thanks. All. How often did Paul uh, give thanks? Always. Notice what his thankfulness caused him to do. It caused him to pray for them rather than to complain about them. In Philippians, I'm closing. 
Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We probably won't read all these. We'll at least get to verse 6 because it's one of my favorite verses. Again, with every marriage counseling session and with every session that I've had with a mother or a father grieving because a son has gone astray, I will share these verses. Every wedding when I sign mine and my wife's name and, and I do it because she forgets to put my name first. I go up sometimes and I'm like, babe, you did it again. I was the first miller. She was the second miller. Love, Stacy and Waylon Miller and family. But after I write love, Waylon and Stacy Miller and family, I will write Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Because I want them to make this part of their marriage mantra. He said, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with all joy. You're not even a burden to pray for. For your fellowship in the gospel from for the first day until now. Verse 6, here's, here's my favorite verse. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And for years, I don't know how many years, these have been some of my most favorite verses. And I thought that I knew them. And I thought that I understood them. And then just recently, I got out of a reading of Revelations. I read it in six different translations. Then I went to 1 Thessalonians. And I read it through the first time in the New King James Version. And the Holy Spirit prompted me to read it again in the New King James Version. And I got to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, I want you to remember what we just read about to the Philippians. See, I, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we read each book as its own separate letter. And they were. But it's one book comprised of 66 books. And they all flow together. Now, watch this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 2. I didn't catch this the first time through. But on my second time through, see, sometimes you got to read it again. Verse 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, they were so mistreated by the Philippians that rumor had got around and even the Thessalonians knew and heard the reports of how spitefully they were treated, as you know. And when I read that, all of a sudden I go back in my mind to that letter of the Philippians. And Paul said, every time I think about you, it causes thankfulness to well up in my heart. And it causes me to pray an effective prayer for you. And you see, I always thought it was because they were so good to him. And because they were so kind to him. And because they were his type of peeps. 
But 1 Thessalonians tells me a different story. That they spitefully treated him. And he suffered many things at the hands of a lot of the Philippians. But yet through the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's grace, instead of being negative, instead of praying prayers like God turn back on their heads the evil that they've done unto me. Instead of praying prayers like, God, I'm about fed up to here with this person and that person, and I feel like giving them a piece of my mind. No, he allowed the work of the precious Holy Spirit of God and an overflow of fresh water to begin to rid his heart of the toxins and the poisons and the negativity that the enemy would have loved to have built up in his heart and he erupted into thankfulness. Could I ask you to stand all over the house? If we're not careful, we'll find it easy to be thankful for those who treat us kindly and show us respect. But we will allow our hearts to fill with negativity toward those that are hard to love you know they're just they're just hard to deal with just, I seem like I can just never get anywhere listen to what Jesus' words are and I'm closing Luke chapter 6 verse 32 through 36 but if you love those who love you what credit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who do good to you what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. See, gratefulness leads to gratefulness. And you will be sons of the Most High. Remember what we preached two Sundays ago? God is the God of mercy. For He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Verse 36, Therefore, because this is the character and the nature of God, Therefore, you be merciful. Therefore, you be kind. Therefore, you be thankful. And thankfulness will be the clear washing away of the toxins that have been stored up in our heart that cause us to, to become negative. See, we started the message talking about leaven. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of their negativity. Don't take up their offenses. Because Paul would write in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Let's pray.